all of you who came today for National Atheist Day. That's today, April 1st. Did you know that? It's April Fool's Day. God said in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So today is April Fool's Day. It's National Atheist Day. So we want to welcome out there all those who are listening, all the fools who say there is no God. Now, let me just tell you this. I have news for you. There is a God. His name is Jesus. He's not dead. He's alive. And we're here today to worship him. So you're welcome to join us. So I hope all of you can celebrate that good news. We are in the midst of a series of messages together called Victory, the gospel foretold and fulfilled. And if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to one of the Gospels in which Luke is recording the details that happened that glorious first Easter morning. And this is the way he recorded it in Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this Easter morning. Thank you for this day that we can come and celebrate the greatest victory mankind has ever been given. Victory in the gospel, the gospel fulfilled, that everything promised has come to pass and everything yet to be will also come to pass. And we thank you, God, for the great victory of Jesus on the cross, in the tomb, and now we celebrate on this day he's alive. So, Lord, speak to us, the living God, speak to us today. And we'll thank you for all the ways you show yourself to be true. And we'll thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes people say I'm a little optimistic, but uh, when I went out to get the paper this morning at about 4 o'clock, I took it out of its little plastic cover, and before I opened it, I thought, wouldn't it be great if the morning headline said, He is risen on the front page of the paper. So I carefully opened up, and that's not what it said. As a matter of fact, it said, Tale of the Tape. I had no idea what that was about, so I started reading. It's a 25-year-old investigation into harassment charges against a female sheriff in Santa Clara County. And I said, are you kidding me? Easter Sunday, the greatest news in human history, that's the best you can come up with. There's not even anything here about Easter. But I was wrong. There was a little red sticker up in the corner. One of those things, here's a coupon for the free home show or whatever that's coming up. So I peeled that off, and lo and behold, there it was. There's the Easter bunny right there behind the red sticker that they covered up. And it says, Happy Easter. The annual hunt for Easter eggs continued across the Bay Area this weekend. I was moved when I read that this morning. (laughs) And I thought, the greatest news in human history And that's the best we can do. Well, you know what? I can't be too critical because I was there once too. There was a time in my life when I didn't know what Jesus' death on the cross meant. I didn't know he died for sins. I didn't even know I had any sins. You want to hear something even more pathetic? At 25 years old, I didn't know what Easter was. 
I didn't know Jesus had been buried in a tomb. I didn't know he rose again. I was clueless. And because of my ignorance about those very important things, I lived in fear of death. I was traumatized by it as a kid, even into my early adulthood. When I was five years old, my grandpa died. One day he was there, the next he was gone. And they told me death took him and he wasn't coming back. When I was nine years old, our little neighbor boy, Hoppy, five years old, he died. One day we're playing in the yard with him, the next day he's gone. They told me death took him and he wasn't coming back. When I was 11 or 12, our neighbor Stevie came over, sat down on the chair next to the couch. We're chatting away, he has a heart attack and he dies. One minute he's right there. The next minute he's gone. And they told me death took him and he's not coming back. When I, was high, when I was in high school, death took two of my friends, then my dad. And all they told me was, death takes these people. I don't know where they took them, but he took them and they weren't coming back. And you know what traumatized me? The reality that someday death was coming for me to take me in a place I didn't know where I was going. All I knew is I wasn't coming back. And I was traumatized by that thought, wondering what it held until I heard the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. When I learned that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, he was buried in a tomb and three days later he rose again, that he conquered sin and death and the grave and that if I am in Christ, I don't have to fear death anymore. He's alive and I'm gonna live with him forever. That's the good news I celebrate every time I come to an Easter morning. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, I hope that's good news that stirs you as well because it's the greatest news ever given to mankind. It is the gospel. And that's why all four gospel writers detail the victory of this gospel. The good news, that's the most important message God has ever sent to humanity. Now, people, if you don't get anything else out of this day than this, remember this. What you're about to hear is the most important message God has ever sent to humanity. Satan doesn't want you to hear it. The world tries to reduce it, but God is shouting through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Paul went on to say, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. You see, this is why in Luke's gospel, he recounts, as the other writers do, the details of that first resurrection and why they recounted Jesus' words in Luke 24, verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words, the words of victory, the words of the gospel fulfilled. And we're reminded today through Luke's gospel that Easter is the celebration of the gospel fulfilled in Jesus' victory over death. But the question is, how did he win it? How was he able to do what no one else could do? He won the victory by his death on the cross, and he won the victory by his resurrection from the dead. 
Jesus fulfilled the gospel and won the victory by his death on the cross. If you go back in Luke's gospel, one chapter to chapter 23 and verse 44, you'll relive the crucifixion story. Here's how Luke recorded it. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day. And the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. And Luke said in verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified. Lee Eckloff, who's a pastor in Illinois, I believe, gave a message called The Agony of Victory. And in it, he was telling about a 14-foot cross, brass cross, that was erected in a cemetery, Calvary Cemetery in Little Rock, Arkansas. It had stood there for 50 years when someone came one night and cut it down. This cross was put in place in 1930 by a Catholic bishop who wanted to honor Christ and the message of the cross. At the time in 1930, this cross cost $10,000 to make. You can imagine it was, it's worth when they took it down 50 years later. But the sad part was they discovered that the thieves had taken that cross, cut it up into little pieces, and sold it for scrap metal for $450. And when the people of Little Rock heard that, they thought not only is it a shame that that cross was taken down, but these guys got so little because they didn't know the value of the cross. When I read that article, I thought to myself, that's me. I was in the same place. I didn't know the value of the cross. I didn't know that Jesus had died there for my sins. I didn't even know that I had any sin. And I didn't know that Jesus had died there to break the power of sin in my life. Because you see, sin has the power of death over all of us. Sin is the power not only to destroy my life, but to take my life and to separate my life from God who is my life. And he's able to do that now and forever. What gives sin the power to do that? The law gives sin that power, the law of God. What gives the IRS the right to come and garnish your wages if you don't pay your taxes? The law gives them that power. What gives a police officer the right to pull you over, a free citizen, and give you a ticket that you have to go to court to pay? The law gives them that power. What gives the judge a right to take away your freedom and to lock you up in a prison? The law 
gives them that power. What gives death the right and sin the right to take my life, to separate me from God, and to hold me forever in a Christless hell? What gives sin the right to do that? The law gives it that power, the law of God. And when the law of God is broken, death can take his place. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, Paul said, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. And death has a stinger. It's called sin. You see, if you die with sin still in your life, unforgiven, then death will sting you. It will hurt you. It'll separate you from God forever. But if you could die with your sins forgiven, you have no sin because it's been forgiven. Death can't touch you then. And what I needed to learn when I was 25 years old was the meaning of the cross. That when Jesus went to die there, he ripped the stinger out of my death. He took the price. He took the penalty. He paid the cost. With sin defeated, death could no longer have hold on me. But Jesus came to die for our sins. This is true because all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory. That was Paul's message in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All of us have sinned and fall short of his glory. All of us. There's no exceptions. You know the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis in the Bible? That's not just a story. That's reality. That's our history. That's how God made humanity. He made us to live in perfect relationship with him. But he said, the day you choose to go your own way, the day you think you can do it without me, the day you want separation from me and your way is better than my way, on that day you will die. On that day you'll get the separation you want. You will no longer have life because you'll no longer be with me. The day you eat of it, you will die. That's why death has spread to everyone in humanity. Paul said in Romans 5 verse 12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. There are no exceptions. The law of God is clear. The soul that sins, it will die. Physically, spiritually, and eternally. The wages of sin is death. And the only way you can be saved from that is if someone was willing, someone who had no sin, was willing to come and take your sin and die with it, in your place. That someone is Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel, the victory that Jesus won at the cross. And this is why Luke said in verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified. And Luke also tells us that when he was crucified, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Significant because you remember the temple that Solomon was constructed? Do you remember the one that Moses had in the wilderness? Inside the tabernacle and later the temple, there was a little room called the Holy of Holies. And God's presence actually dwelt in that room. And there was a huge curtain across that separated holy God from sinful man. And you thank God for that curtain. Because in that day, if you walked into the holiness of God with sin still in your life, if you walked into him without a sacrifice, without the spotless blood of a lamb, without a high priest going in in your place, you would instantly die. 
I can tell you assuredly that heaven is the last place you'd want to be if you had sin still in your life. Because the moment you got in, if you could, the holiness of God would consume you in an instant. You wouldn't be able to survive for a breath. That curtain was a representative of that separation between God and man that sin creates. But when Jesus died, Luke and the other writers said that curtain was torn in two. The way to God was now made open. And those who would come to God could come through Jesus Christ and be received and be given the gift of eternal life. That's the good news of Easter. This is the gospel fulfilled. Listen to it in John 13, verse 14. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. They're already condemned. You know, when I share this good news with people all over the place, many times people ask me, how could a good God send anyone to hell? I said, that's easy, he doesn't. God's not sending anybody to hell. We're on our way there naturally. We inherited that problem from Adam. And we're like on a freight train headed for hell. And we're going to end up there if God doesn't do something to intervene and to save us. God is not sending us to hell. The good news is he's saving us from it in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message of Easter. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 3 verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is why the Apostle Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, when he finally understood the cross and why Jesus died, he called it the triumph of the cross. Because what looked like Satan's greatest victory was actually his greatest defeat. Paul wrote in Colossians 2 verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's why Paul finished that powerful statement in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, when he said, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only by his death on the cross, but Jesus fulfilled the gospel and won the victory by his resurrection from the dead. That's why the details of the resurrection are so important. Luke said in verse 1, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. 
In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Phil Calloway uh, wrote an article in Men of Integrity magazine in which he was saying one day he was coming home from church on a sleepy Sunday afternoon and they always drove by a, a certain cemetery on the way from the church to their house. On this Sunday afternoon, he had his five-year-old son with him who was looking out the window and when they went by the cemetery, they saw a grave that had been freshly dug, pile of dirt, obviously getting ready for a funeral the next day, shovel stuck in the dirt. And when they drove by, Phil Calloway said, my, my five-year-old son looked out the window and he yelled, Daddy, look! One of them got out! <laughs> Phil Calloway said he was laughing so hard he could barely steer his car. But he said, from then on, every time he drove by the graveyard, he said, I'm remembering the one who got out. Easter is the celebration of the one who got out. And here's the good news. Because Jesus got out of the grave, I'm never going to be in one. Let me say that again. Because Jesus got out of the grave, I'm never going to be in one. Someday, this old body of mine is going to wear out. I don't know what's going to happen. My kids might take it and stuff it for all I know. But someday they're probably going to stick me in a box and throw that, stick that body of mine in the ground. But you know what? They're never going to put me in the ground because I won't be there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. The moment this old body gives up, I'm leaving it. I won't need it anymore. And I'll be more alive than you can possibly imagine in a place far better than this one. This is the good news of Christ's victory over sin, death, and the grave. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is such good news. It's such a miracle of good news. People have a hard time believing it. Just like that first Easter morning. <laughs> Do you remember the ladies? They go back to the tomb with some spices after the Sabbath because they want to finish the burial process they thought was cut short because he was buried so quickly. So they get to the tomb and the stones rolled away. Two angels are sitting there, so brilliantly beautiful, they're on their faces. And the angels say to them, ladies, what are you doing here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, just like he told you. Man, those ladies were so pumped, they could hardly contain their excitement. They run back to the upper room where the disciples and the others are waiting. And when they get there, they proclaim the good news. The tomb is empty. Jesus isn't there. The angels told us he's alive. And the disciples said, man, that's sweet. No, that's not exactly what they said. In fact, in Luke 24, verse 9, when they came back from the tomb... They told all these things to the 11 and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and also the mother of Jesus, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So these ladies come in with the great truth, and what did the disciples say? You girls are smoking something. 
I don't know what you saw out there, but Jesus is dead. Oh, he was put in the tomb. He was wrapped up in linens. And uh, I don't know what you saw out there, but you girls are whacked. I'm just telling you what you're telling us makes no sense at all. Peter got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, I wonder what happened here. Even though they had been told at least three specific times on the way to Jerusalem exactly what was going to happen. You remember? In the Gospel of Luke, we looked at all of them. What did Jesus tell them? We're going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed and given into the hands of the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, spit on me, insult me, and they're going to kill me. But don't worry, three days later, I'm going to rise again. He told them that the first time. He told them that the second time. And in Luke 18, he told them the third time, this is what's going to happen. So then the ladies come back from the tomb and they say, it's happened. And the disciples say, you're nuts. So Jesus goes out on the road to Emmaus later that Sunday afternoon. He meets two disciples that are on their way to that little village about seven miles west of Jerusalem. What happened there was precious. It tells us in Luke 24, verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Like, what are you guys talking about? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And I love this. Jesus said, well, what things? Enlighten me. Tell me what I'm missing. (laughs) What's going on in Jerusalem that's got you so downcast? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They, They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Man, would you have loved to have been a part of that Bible study? But you know what? You can be anytime you want. Because anytime you open your Old Testament, you're going to hear what Jesus told them. Because every book of the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. He's revealed in there. Every single book. There's a different aspect of Jesus' life. A different aspect of his death a different aspect of his resurrection, a different aspect of the gospel he fulfilled completely, just as the law and the prophets 
said he would. This is what I told you. And so when Jesus leaves the road to Emmaus and he goes back to Jerusalem, he goes up into the upper room where the 12 are there, or the 11, and the others who are with them. The doors are locked for fear of the Jews, and Jesus, in his resurrection glory, walks right through the wall. A resurrected body that's tangible enough to touch but not limited by anything in this sphere. Amazing. And when he walks in the room through those locked doors, the people thought they were seeing a ghost. So they're tweaking out again. And Luke says in verse 38, Luke 24, 38, Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is what I told you. Everything had to be fulfilled. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. The resurrection of Jesus is the good news of the gospel fulfilled. So central to our faith that if the resurrection isn't real, if Jesus isn't alive, if he isn't the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God, then Christianity is a hoax, the gospel is a lie, and our faith is worthless. That was Paul's message to the Corinthians. That's how important this is. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is saying plainly, if Jesus didn't rise, the cross was a waste, Jesus was a liar, Christian faith is a hoax, and people who believe this stuff have been duped and are the most to be pitied. But, he said, but, and in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, the most significant word, but, ever ever uttered. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. People, all of us are in Adam, but not all of us are in Christ. All of us are in Adam because we're human. 
but not all of us are in Christ. All of us are in Adam, dead in our sins, but not all of us are in Christ being made alive. So the question this Easter and every Easter is, am I still just an Adam, dead in my sin, or am I alive now by faith in Christ Jesus? That's the heart of the question. And the only way you get to be in Christ Jesus is you gotta believe the gospel. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter one, you were included in Christ when you believed the gospel of your salvation. When you believed the truth of the gospel, you were included in Christ. That's why if you're here today and you believe the gospel and Christ is living in you, I have good news for you. You're never gonna die. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he said, do you believe this? See, if you believe this today, you don't have to worry about that death thing. Someday your body's gonna give out. I don't know when that's gonna happen, but you're gonna be more alive in that moment. You will never know what it's like to die because you're gonna go from life to life. But if you're here today still in Adam and you're not in Christ, death is a real concern because it's real. And it's going to come, and it's going to separate you from God forever. But if you believe the message, you can be saved. Paul said in Romans 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I know there's always people who are saying, well, what makes you think Christianity is so sure? What, what about all the other religions? What about all the other approaches to God? What about all these other people who believe that they're going to go to their God and their heaven by, by their beliefs? People, don't be disillusioned by that smoke screen. Don't be disillusioned by that lie. All religions are not the same. In fact, I can tell you confidently that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Every religion and approach to God other than through Christ is an absolute falsehood and a dead end that leads only to death. How do I know that? Because of the resurrection. In fact, every Easter I share this little truth in case there are people who've never learned it because they're still confused about this whole mass of religion thing. Nobody's saved by religion. You're saved by Christ or not at all. You see, all the religions of the world except four are just pure philosophy. They're the inventions of men. People came up with ideas of who God is and they invented religions to go with them. They're philosophical thought put to a religious system. They are as bankrupt and worthless as the religions you and I could create. And most of the world is slaving under that philosophical illusion. Of the four that aren't pure philosophy, the inventions of men, Four of the religions left are based on the life and teachings of their founder. Judaism, based on the life and teaching of Abraham. Buddhism, based on the life and teaching of Gautama, the first Buddha. Buddha is a title. Gautama was the first one. Islam, based on the life and teaching of Muhammad, their prophet. And Christianity, based on the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, here are the facts. Abraham died at the age of 175. They buried him in Israel near a place called Machpelah in a cave next to his wife, Sarah. They put Abraham's body in the tomb. It's still there. 
Gautama, the first Buddha, died at the age of 80. He was on a pilgrimage into the Himalayan mountains by his own confession to find the truth. Isn't that ironic? Here's millions of people following this guy in Buddhism, and he hadn't even found the truth. Well, I can assure you he's found it now because he went up into the mountains, and he never made it out. He died there near a village called Kusinara. They buried his body in a tomb, and he's still there. Muhammad died June 8th, 632 A.D., at the age of 62. They buried him in a tomb north of Mecca in Saudi Arabia at a place called Medina or Medina. They put Muhammad's body in the grave. People pilgrimage there by the millions to see his grave because he's still in it. Jesus Christ died on or about April 6th, 33 AD at the age of 30, or 30 AD at the age of 33. They buried him in a tomb. They sealed it with a stone. They posted a guard to keep his body in the grave. But all of that failed. His body isn't there today. And you know why? Because sin couldn't have him. Death couldn't defeat him. And the grave couldn't hold him. He's the resurrection and the life. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he's alive. And he's offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to all who believe and receive him. That's why the angels said to the women, Why? Are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe today that you are a sinner and your sin is separating you from God and will forever if it isn't forgiven? Do you now today believe and understand the message of the cross? That Jesus, who had no sin, died there to pay for your sin? so that you could be forgiven. Do you now believe and understand the message of the resurrection, that Jesus was buried in a tomb, but the grave couldn't hold him? Three days later, just as he promised, he rose again victorious, and he's alive, and he's still saving people who believe him. But you gotta receive him into your life. You gotta tell him you believe, for by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. You can't earn this. You don't get this by going to church or being good or making a pilgrimage or reading your Bible or getting baptized or taking communion. Those things are all good, I guess, in their place, but none of them can save you. Jesus is the one who saves. This is the gospel, his victory fulfilled. And if you're here today and you believe it, then you can ask Christ to come into your life, and he will. In fact, why don't we bow our heads together? Many of you are Christians already. But if you're here today and you believe the gospel, the good news, and you're ready to receive Christ and follow him, as people have been doing all morning, then you can open up your heart to him and tell him you want the gift. You just say to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I believe the good news that you died on a cross to pay for my sin. And I believe that you were buried in a tomb. And three days later, you rose again victorious, just as you promised. And I believe that you're alive right now, offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life as a gift. 
And so, Jesus, I ask you to come and live in me. Wash away all of my sins and forgive me. I receive from you today the gift of life. Teach me to follow you all of my days. And I will spend eternity giving you thanks for the gift of life.